The best tech conference of the year is coming to Las Vegas, November 28th through December 2nd, and MongoDB will be there. Check us out at booth 1611 for prizes, swag, and to learn all about the Atlas Developer Data Platform. Can't make it to the show but still want to enjoy the fun? Check out the MongoDB live stream for live interviews and discussions of all the exciting announcements from the show. Visit mongodb.com slash reinvent for more information. The one thing I would say is show up to meetups, show up to conferences, show up to online hangouts, show up, post on boards, talk to people. This communication, this ability to collaborate, to exchange ideas, this is really what internet is about. So use that. There's the community area of Mongo. The thing is that if you don't show up and you don't collaborate with others, you may feel a little lonely. You may feel that problems are insurmountable. That was the voice of Nuri Halpern. Nuri is a MongoDB community champion, and today, this episode kicks off the first in a series of episodes focused on the MongoDB community champions. Nuri shares his experience with the community, the value he finds in community, and he also talks a little bit about MongoDB technically. He's just got a wealth of experience. Uh, he's a longtime MongoDB supporter and user, all the way back to version 1.8. He shares his thoughts on ODMs and ORMs and some of the more technical aspects of using MongoDB today. He's just got so much to share, and he's a great guy to talk to. I hope you enjoy this episode. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Hey, Nick, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Mike. How about yourself? Never better. Hey, man, I'm really excited about today's episode. This is going to be the first in a series of episodes that we do where we talk to folks from the MongoDB community. And specifically, we're talking about the MongoDB champions. This is a group of individuals that have been in the community for quite some time, and they, uh, they seem to be all over the place. Um, the person that we're talking to today is Nuri Halperin, and uh, I've known him for quite some time. He's been at a ton. He's been around the MongoDB community for well before I was even here at MongoDB. And um, I haven't seen him in person in quite some time, but I'm looking forward to this chat. Let's bring him in. Nuri, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on board. Let's see. Where are you located these days? I'm uh, out of uh, Santa Monica, California. Okay. Awesome. So exactly how long have you been working with MongoDB? I don't know exactly, but I would say approximately nine, 10 years. So when I started on the first project, it was Mongo 1.8, the dreaded, ooh, are you using this in production? To transitioning to Mongo 2.0, which was like, phew, now we can use it in production. And what kind of applications were you working on back then, the 1.8.2.0 timeframe? Um, so yeah, so that, that started as a, um, in a startup that we were doing social photo sharing. And so it was uh, Greenfield, no legacy to deal with. And uh, just uh, as, as the person in charge of uh, doing backend platform and uh, website, um, being more remote from the mobiles, um, mm. I, I, you know, I had free reign to choose what I wanted to do. And 
I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want another ORM or another bunch of tables and another declare the schema. I just wanted to plow forward and deliver features and be done. And, and how did that go? Uh, were you working on that project alone or with a team? So we had a small team. Uh, and uh, it worked uh, really well uh, from my side. Uh, our collaboration was fairly tight because we were a small team. Um, but uh, to iterate uh, over ideas and over directions and supporting the pivots and stuff like that, that is very common in startup. Um, that worked smashingly well. Uh, my main thing there was a developer hat saying, I don't want the impedance mismatch. I want my objects in memory to kind of be what they are in the back end and be able to perform, you know, elaborate manipulation and twiddling on documents. And I don't have the structure down yet. So I want to be able to be flexible with it. And I want it to be scalable down the line when I need it. So, so yeah, that, that pretty much ticked all the marks, right? That, that, it what we needed. So so 10, 10 years ago, relational databases were still reigning supreme. How how were you able to convince your team, even though that you had the free reign to, to choose whatever you want, how were you able to convince them that uh, a NoSQL database, something that wasn't common, uh, was a good decision? I don't recall having a meeting ever where I had to stand up and say, I need to use this and persuade me otherwise, or something like that. Um, a few things a few things about it. One is show them the value, right? Uh, being able to whip something up, throw it out there and say, I'm done. Here you go. You got a feature. You got an API for a mobile that can talk to it today. Save your photos, comment on them, share them, create ownership groups, do all kinds of whatever the business operations needed. The other thing was uh, it did already have the uptime beyond a single box which if we were to contemplate doing with a relational database, we'd have to contemplate a lot more licensing and a lot more infrastructure around uh, having the uptime. So it looked actually very promising, more promising than we would have had otherwise on our budget. And I got to say, I don't know that it is the absolute right decision, but maybe it's just not the absolutely wrong decision. And as a young startup and pivoting, if it wouldn't have worked for us, I'm sure we would have changed. So, you know, this is not about just making one absolutely correct decision. This is about making a decision that fits the time and the runway we can foresee and, uh, and running with it and, and seeing where it leads. Uh, and Mongo already had the reputation of being web scale for good or bad. So we kind of, decided to go with that. So that's one of the things that really hasn't changed. I think making a decision about the right database and how to configure that database based on the application's requirements rather than some predefined set of rules about how you lay your data out, right? Yeah. And in addition to that, when your use case is decently well-defined and is somewhat narrow, and you're not taking this approach of one monolith database or backend that has to support everything. You're saying, I'm building a system. This system has to satisfy those set of requirements. And beyond that, I don't know. I'm not trying to create something that would serve everything for everyone forever. I'm trying to create something that will serve us for what we know now 
which is not just what we think now, but also our runway, but you know, what's ahead of our nose, what's under our nose for us for this. And should I need to expand, I will reevaluate. But um, that, that, that carries you a very long way. And I have other systems and other companies and things that we, we built on top of this platform that, uh, that, uh, that have uh, a, a pretty good track record. And uh, they did expand a bit, but then you know projects come and go and you have to support that aspect of the project. Other projects do something else. And even within the enterprise, you can't just count on everything being in one infrastructure. That's not the way to go. You're modeling your requirements, your everything, your operations, defining them are for a specific use case. So satisfies that and you satisfy your boss. I mean, that's, that's the right stuff. Now, when did you start working with what we would consider the MongoDB community? I think it was fairly closely at the same time. Um, I started speaking at uh, user groups and local conferences and things uh, about four years before I started with Mongo, just because I thought this is this is a free you know a free raise. This is a way for me to both meet other people, uh, which is opportunity, and to educate myself, which is increasing my skills, all for free. Um, and I love learning and I love learning from people. Uh, so all of this community work that I've been doing, sharing my experience went hand in hand with my professional career. So I started before I started with Mongo, but then when I started using Mongo, I looked at the bank of talks that I've given and I said, well, how about I do introduction to this stuff? And from that point on, I've been doing introduction to MongoDB pretty much everywhere, as recently as a month ago. And you'd think, hey, everybody knows Mongo already, but no, there's always newcomers. There's always people coming, needing to learn, coming from different perspectives, different backgrounds. So I've been involved uh, pretty much since day one for Mongo and a little before uh, doing other general programming and topics. In terms of your involvement with the with the MongoDB community, are you strictly involved through speaking at events and, and that kind of community involvement, or do you do other stuff as well? I would say that that is my main involvement. Um, I also have a few courses that I created uh, on Pluralsight that I uh, teach various Mongo topics. Yeah, what's what's one of the names of those? What's your favorite of those courses so that way we can drop them on the podcast? <laughs> I think uh, MongoDB introduction is my favorite. Uh, the man MongoDB admin is probably the, the, the biggest, most robust of them, which is geared more for people who are really using Mongo day in and day out and need to run the platform, not so much from a user perspective. I've been considering doing like languages coming at Mongo as a developer, um, but I find that there it's a little difficult to to, to drill through the noise. I find that it's difficult to, to make an impact saying, oh, I'll show you how to connect you know, Python to Mongo or C-sharp to Mongo. I'm like, yeah, but they're going to use a repo pattern or something. They're not going to really learn Mongo. They're going to learn, ooh, can I just shove something down the database? And that is the opposite of what I'm about. 
I, I'm a troubadour for knowing the ins and outs of the syntax, understanding the storage model, understanding what's happening, efficiency, and all of that. Um, and to that end, I've, I've created a course on modeling as well. And that is not necessarily Mongo specific, but, but is very relevant for Mongo and document oriented modeling, uh, as well as other features like change strings and things like that. So you've seen a lot of change in the database since the, the early times. Can you talk a little bit about the, the progression of MongoDB? Um, maybe some of the really, um, you, maybe your favorite uh, innovations in the, in the database, or maybe you're not so favorite ones. Well, I think my favorite one would be the aggregation framework. I think the aggregation framework as a, as a user-facing feature is the most welcome one because it brought uh, a much richer data manipulation language to the scene. It is a very clean language. I think it is a very good language for document-oriented processing rather than you know, trying to bolt SQL-like syntax onto a document-oriented database. The aggregation framework really gets it, really understands what it is about. So I, I thought that was an excellent addition. And in particular, it's supplanting using MapReduce with JavaScript and all of the horrific uh, performance and, and debugging issues around that. Uh, I thought that was really good customer facing. Um, and then in terms of engine facing, uh, Wired Tiger, hands down. Just the introduction of that engine opening up possibilities all the way up to um, global clock and versioning these days. Uh, that, that's really what, what, is, what is making this a, a more solid and robust engine. I don't think the runway was terribly long with uh, memory map file. Any of the features throw you for a loop or uh, came out and, and kind of had you puzzled? That's interesting. I think there are a few things that are maybe counterintuitive. Things like, why are you adding join? Like, seriously? Is this, is this what we're saying now? That we wanted to model things, we wanted to make documents, we wanted you to, you know, kind of serve the microservice, and now you're trying to just add features that the engine was never really meant to do and maybe not compatible with sharding the way you'd want it to be. Um, Are you talking about the lookup operator for the pipelines? Yeah, I'm talking about lookup and graph lookup. Yeah. Got it. But come on now. So are you mean, do you mean to tell me that you don't, you've never used lookup in an application to, to create several and, and join data from several collections? That's exactly what I mean to tell you, Michael. <laughs> I have never used that syntax, partially because the projects that I have in production now are now are a little older and they're not from the era where this is a done deal. Uh, because it's only, uh, what is it, a couple of years that's been out. But also philosophically, if, if your modeling is such that this is a requirement for the OLTP side, I think you need to revisit your data modeling. And if, the, if, if it is such that um, you, know, you, you have one infrastructure and you don't have a different data warehouse, or a different thing, you want kind of a, the multimodal uh, approach to having one back end serve a whole bunch of needs. Sure, you know, acceptable. 
But as a rule, I'd like your OLTP system to never use that. I mean, there's an app for that. Relational databases uh, do joins really well. And I guess, uh, you know, for the folks listening in, we're talking specifically about the dollar lookup operator, which enables you as a part of MongoDB query language to, to execute reads, which join data from multiple collections. And what Nuri is talking about is um, laying out your data in such a way that you don't need to do that. And that would typically involve uh, making multiple copies of certain pieces of data and distributing them in single collections. Is that correct? Yeah, it would require you to basically pre-stuff some of the data that you would have joined in into your document. Um, it usually illuminates on the fact that you didn't, that you maybe used a uh, a synthetic key instead of a natural key to join. So instead of having author on a post, uh, you put in the author ID, hoping to then chase down author by their ID and bring it in. Like, what, you're going to display the author name? Well, shove it in the post. Why not? Like, what's the point of reaching out and doing all of that stuff? Well, a relational DBA may respond that I don't want to have to keep track of that data in multiple places. How do you, how do you address that? Well, two things. Um, well, several things. Uh, for one, a relational DBA would also know the difference between um, natural key and surrogate keys, uh, whereby we do actually use the key being the author name itself and not just ID 1234 or OBJ ID or something silly like that. That is completely opaque. That has no meaning in the business. So just by doing that, you're already actually um, materializing that, that intent of using natural. Second, uh, so what? So, you know, I was uh, Bob Jones, and later on I decided to change my name to P. Diddy. Um, my posts as Bob Jones uh, were whatever, and now I changed my name. Do I really want to change all the historic posts to reflect my new name or do they remain as they were and from now on I'm different name uh, so those kind of issues also come in which is keeping history uh, which com uh, complicates relationship and finally um, somebody will no doubt have to keep track so in relational database you might use triggers many database uh, shops uh, prohibit triggers for various performance reasons. And then you end up writing stored procedures around that anyway. So do that. And you are tracking that. And if you really need a mechanism to do it in MongoDB, you can use change streams. And when there's a change in the so-called system of record or collection of record, you propagate it into the appropriate places. So all in all, there is a way to deal with this. There is a philosophy driving whether you need to or don't need to track that. And there's certainly very, very good roots for this notion of embedding data uh, via natural keys in uh, the relational world. So that's all, I think, okay. So would you, would you typically use a chain stream for that? Or would you use something like uh, a MongoDB collection trigger with Realm or similar? I think Realm under the, th under the covers uses chain streams. They're the uh, same thing. A, a different question would be, would they use a post hook and a pre hook? on some of the ODMs? And the answer is shutter, no. I would much rather use a change stream. Uh, change streams are 
um, up to the consumer. They have the at least once uh, delivery support, uh, and they really carry through the meaning of a mutation, the log log mutation kind of paradigm. So I would much rather trust those than an application having a do function one, then function two, and really hope that both of them occurred. Okay, so so I want to make sure that we're we're covering this. You mentioned post and pre triggers in an ODM. Uh, folks listening may not know what those are. Can you can you explain what those are and and how someone might use them? Yeah, sure. Um, so ODM is object data mapper, and they are supposedly the evolution of object relational mappers (ORM). ORMs were supposed to bridge over the fact that your object, say a person with their address, was spread across two or three tables. And in memory, you wanted just a person that inside the person class, you have an address and it's populated. ODMs replace that and says, well, our data in the back end is not a table. It's a collection. It's a document. But we still want to kind of bridge and not have the poor developer understand what's going on with the database. I hope you can hear in my voice, I'm not a huge (laughs) fan of that. One of the reasons I'm not a big fan of that is that I found in projects that the ODM and ORM of the world help you in two distinct phases. One is a codec. How do I encode what was in the document into my language, into a class, a POJO, a POCO, or whatever you have, or whatever you want, right? The second is, how do I model operations such they're just that, that they're just CRUD? And that is where things falter and, and cause a lot of trouble because people say, okay, well, I have my model, but then I have business logic and I'm going to try to tie all of this stuff together by injecting a little function just before I say to the ODM save and then just after it's saved, do something else. And it's not transactional. There's no way to make it transactional because it happens on the client side. Then you have concurrency issues to resolve because once you scale out your web farm, those ODMs don't know that another ODM is running in a memory space next to them or half the way around the world on another server. So they have to coordinate who's going to save what on top of what. So all of that is, is just not great. And what I find is that when you use ORMs and ODMs, the first two weeks of development, you get something really rapid. The rest of the project life, which is months to years, maybe a decade, you will be fighting against it. You will be forever trying to put in hooks just before, just after, and wrestling with the ODM because it wasn't really meant to do that. What it really wanted to do is save an object by its ID and retrieve an object by its ID. Everything else is a lot, a lot of work, and they sometimes torture the database. Mongoose, for, for instance, um, as far as I know, if you say to uh, eagerly load the related model, will chase two queries into the database. So it won't use a dollar lookup. It would go in and say, fetch me the main object, the person, and then go and fetch address with the ID that was in the first one and just lengthen the operation. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually correct. We actually had a call, uh, a previous podcast episode with the creator of Mongoose, and that was one of the questions that we asked. So it was actually episode number twenty-two of this podcast. If anyone's curious about uh, learning a little bit about Mongoose, you know, we had Val Val Karpov, the maintainer of Mongoose, on the 
on the podcast to talk about. Yeah, that. yeah, I, I listened to him. That was a very interesting, um, interesting podcast and interesting to learn. Um, one of the things I like is a lot of this stuff is open source, so you can open up the code and see what it actually does. But even Mongoose exposes your bit exposes to you an ability to just use the model as a codec, and then to run specific MongoDB commands, so database layer commands such as aggregate and stuff like that. People don't use it because they're so used to doing in-memory stuff with a model. Just load me all of them and then count them instead of chasing down a aggregate, you know, count by x or, you know dollar match, dollar aggregate, whatever. Um, so so I, I'm, I'm all for education. This is why I like to, to teach this stuff and why I like to talk to people about doing things the way I see it right. What do you think of ODMs for prototyping? I, again, I think that it's really great for the initial bootstrapping phase where you throw something together and it seems to magically work. My question would be, is it really that much faster to put it together? Like, it, you know, can you create um, a command to just say, find by ID? Okay, well, that's part of the driver. Okay, so you retrieve the document. You're in JavaScript. There's no encoding. It's just there. Why do I need a model around it? For validation, oh, surely you're going to write way more code to validate for production. So what did I save myself here? Just do it right from the first time. Like, how much time do you spend coding, actually typing characters onto the keyboard, including the delete one, versus going to meetings and understanding your business domain? I would say it's a 3% of coding and a 97% of human management. So. I don't know. I don't think you need to just type less code. I think you need to type code that serves all that was discussed in these meetings better. I love it. Yeah, and I appreciate your your knowledge and, and experience on that. So tell me what's going on today, Nuri. What are you working on? Are you doing consulting? Are you still running a startup? What's going on? Um, these days I'm doing uh, more consulting work. I uh, I'm involved in some projects, usually around data migrations um, into and out of uh, various technologies and various stacks, including Mongo, including Mongo competitors, including non-competitors. So I, I kind of live in the area of trying to tie loose ends together and uh, make things happen. And are you planning to speak at MongoDB World, MongoDB Live? MongoDB World is great. I've spoken several times there. And I really love going and attending as an attendee, as well as speaking about latest and greatest and what I find interesting. Um, this year is a little different for me, uh, also in part because it's not in real life, it would be virtual. And in part because I'm really interested in a little of what's beyond um, just the Mongo aspect of things. So I'm still brewing on what, what is important with living with Mongo. What, what is a good topic there? I think between the staff and other speakers, they're already doing an awesome job talking about the basics, talking about the technicals, talking about some use cases that are interesting. Um, I want to know what you do 
when you wake up in the morning and you have to model a whole new system. So things like maybe talking about um, using mgenerate.js to fake data or using uh, load tests and trying to qualify whether your approach, how do you validate your approach with Mongo modeling and things like that. And I can say it's an interesting topic for me, but I, I don't know that I have enough to say this year about that. I should say that the tracks this year have been modified in such a way that there are going to be many more and many shorter. So it might be an opportunity to do a lightning talk or something like that. I'll just leave that, I'll play it that scene Yeah, there. it could be really interesting. I, I'm still on the fence on that. One of the things I love about Mongo World is actually the secret weapon, which is Greg, which is as a speaker, you get one-on-one -on -one coaching on how to give better talks. Yeah. And of course, you're talking about Greg Steinbrunn, who is our a phenomenal speaker coach. He just provides such great, great uh, tips and, and tricks and, um, you know, things to get the, the newer speakers and even the, the speakers that have experience to get them pre prepared in, in a great way. I've, I've had a great time working with Greg. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've spoken at other conferences. I don't know many or any that provide that. They're like, okay, as a speaker, you want to talk? We selected you. Go for it. Uh, and I think the commitment to quality that MongoDB has shown is, is commendable. So what would you say to someone who's familiar with MongoDB? They're using it, but they're not quite yet in the community. They're not really kind of plugged into the same things that, that you are and the rest of the champions. Well, the one thing I would say is show up. Show up to meetups, show up to conferences, show up to online hangouts, show up, post on boards, talk to people. This communication, this ability to collaborate, to exchange ideas, this is really what the internet uh, is about. So use that. There's the community area of Mongo. Um, and of course, there's Stack Overflow and the historic. Um, user groups on Google uh, still around. The thing is that if you don't show up and you don't collaborate with others, you may feel a little lonely. You may feel that problems are insurmountable. You may feel like other people don't encounter the same problems as you. And what I found is that most people encounter exactly those problems that I have. And smarter people than me have resolved many of them. And uh, then some wacky ideas that I thought are completely wacky are like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, mm, sounds good. So I, I think it's, it's really a way to evolve and influence um, the way MongoDB is shaped. I, now, I don't know how many people, do you know maybe how many people submit JIRA tickets and feature requests? I'm not sure. I get your point. And, um... I think this has really been a phenomenal advertisement for, for jumping into the community. And I, you mentioned the community section, and that's, that's at community.mongodb.com. Um, and there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of MongoDB users and MongoDB employees, among them, the, the people that develop the database. So jumping into the community, start by introducing yourself, get in touch with Leif, who runs the, the Champions Program, may have some, some things for you to get involved in. 
and um, you get to hang out with folks like Nuri. So um, pretty incredible. Nuri, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and chatting with us today. I learned quite a bit. Anything else to, to tell the audience before we wrap? Try the MongoDB socks. They are really excellent <laughs> swag. No, I, I have nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> Neri, if somebody wanted to follow up with you um, after the podcast outside of the community, are you on social media? What's, what's the best way for people to find you? Well, I'm on Twitter, um, Neri H, and I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Neri H. Uh, so those are the two main avenues. And um, I, I am on the MongoDB community as well. So people can check that out. Awesome. And uh, my professional website is on uh, plusnconsulting.com that's the word plus the letter n consulting.com one one word and i have some blog posts and stuff like that there uh, if people are interested cool well thanks once again thank you so much for having me thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com. The best tech conference of the year is coming to Las Vegas, November 28th through December 2nd, and MongoDB will be there. Check us out at booth 1611 for prizes, swag, and to learn all about the Atlas Developer Data Platform. Can't make it to the show but still want to enjoy the fun? Check out the MongoDB live stream for live interviews and discussions of all the exciting announcements from the show. Visit mongodb.com reinvent for more information.